Welcome to episode four of My Badass Friends. This is Paul McClintock, and I'm uh, once again thrilled to be joined by one of my really good buddies. His name is Lance Snyder. Lance, how you doing? I'm doing great, Paul. Really appreciate you doing this. We've a uh, little, little side note, you know, we're, this is episode four. Really, it's, it's the third um, discussion that I've been through, and I'll get to this later, but kind of as a tease, um, the, the genesis of this whole thing was for us to memorialize a conversation for people like you, your friends, and your family down the road to be able to listen to. And I've gotten some really amazing pieces of feedback directly from family members and friends of Anthony and John, who I talked to in the first first couple of episodes. So I am uh, I'm excited to, to play that out over time. But um, you know, for today, we're going to get started real quickly. And I do want to give some context. I met you about 21 years ago in Los Angeles, and people will soon find out we're a couple of guys from the Midwest, but but we met in America's largest city. And um, I was a medical device sales rep working in Los Angeles at University of Southern California. And Lance, you were going through your fellowship, your last year of training on a, on a long road um, into the medical world that we will we will definitely get into to a lot of detail with. But um, Lance is very close to my wife, Nikki, and to me. And we didn't have a great middle name option for our oldest son. And we chose Lance. And um, contrary to popular belief, it wasn't for Lance Armstrong. It, it was for you, Lance Snyder. And, and it was really the real reason we did that was because we felt like you embodied kindness and rigor and and work ethic and just a, a real grinder mentality. And I think that's what people are going to find out here. So let's uh, let's kick it off, Lance. Where are you from? Well, first of all, let me say thanks for those kind words. Um, sure. You know, I love you. I love your family. I love you and I love your wife. And uh, you guys have been uh, amazing to me. So uh, I'm from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, um, uh, what I affectionately like to call the world's largest truck stop. Um, just kidding. All you <laughs> Oklahomans out there, it's it's a wonderful place. And there's been a lot of growth and development in the city since I was there. Um, so I uh, grew up in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Uh, I had two wonderful parents. Uh, my dad, David Snyder, um, was a physician, um, was a surgeon, um, and just taught me so much about life. Um, it truly is one of my heroes. Um, and then my mom, uh, my mom was a rock star. She was just strong. Um, she was always there for me and she was a nurse. Um, so, um, people always ask me if I had a lot of choices. I had a lot of choices. We'll get to that later. Um, sure. but yeah, Oklahoma city, Oklahoma, um, Cassidy, um, um, school, um, which I went, what we, what we call lifers. So I went there all the way up through uh, grade school, middle school, high school, um, and then went on to to college and some other some other areas. So, all right, well we'll we'll get to to all those details. So um, Oklahoma, right in the middle of the country. What are the what is either the earliest or your earliest your earliest memory or your earliest memories as a young man? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, that's a great question. Um, I remember my dad got me a, uh, a locomotive steam engine and you actually had tinder um, in the steam portion and you put water in it. Um, you made a fire, uh, generated uh, uh, 
you know, boiling water and generated steam and, and it could move. Uh, it was somewhat smelly, but my dad and I loved playing <laughs> with that thing. And so I really remember that vividly. One of my that earliest your, memories. That was your steam engine, not your dad's. It was my steam engine, but we both loved playing with it. So <laughs> he could be, uh, he could definitely uh, enjoy the, the fun side of life and be a kid. That's for sure. Okay. That's a great, that's a, go ahead. Sorry. Another early memory was uh, when we moved into our uh, kind of our bigger house at the time, it wasn't really a big house, but it was a bigger house for us. Um, And uh, I got in a fight with a kid. Uh, It was the one and only time I ever lost a fight. (laughs) It was kind of funny. Um, And I was a little kid and he beat me up and, and, uh, and, (laughs) long story but one of my friends suggested i go over and 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 fight him again and i beat him up and then we became best friends um <laughs> and we were best friends for a long time um jason albro was his name he's a, he's a good he's a really good guy became a marine and just a really good guy well i'm glad to hear somebody got the best of you that's see i <laughs> i do this because i want to learn about my friends and uh so, so I, I have kind of an opening question and we're going to move chronologically through your life, but, um, you know, I've watched you for a couple of decades, Lance, and you have this way about you when you interact with people, um, you're, you're very engaged no matter whom you meet. Um, and, and you come across with a lot of passion. You just, whether you're talking to your, your family, your sons, your friends, I, I feel this very, very high level of passion from you where, where do you think that comes from? Uh, well, first of all, those are kind words again. Um, I, I don't think I deserve these accolades. Um, I have plenty of unkind words too. We're going to get good, there. So good. before we'll your get head there. gets good, too big, good. I promise. I, I, I keep my, yeah, I, I need some humbleness in my life. Um, so I, I don't know. I've just always cared about people. I've always cared what they thought. I've always wanted to learn their stories. And you and I are both avid readers, I've always wanted to read about people. How do they got to where they are? And I think one of the things that, you know, God's given us on this earth is to be able to listen to people and to learn from people and to hear their stories. So I try to do it every day. Um, I try to never think about myself first. Um, I always try to listen to others and see what they're thinking. That's a good Um, answer. Look, as, as the, where it comes from i'm not sure that's a great question i don't know well do you do you think it's something you developed or do you think it was just kind of always there i think it was somewhat innately in me and then i i've read a couple books one of them um uh, one of them was a uh, a book about uh, warren buffett but i he he wanted to know where people were from and i i liked i like knowing where where you're from what what's your story how did you get here what brought you here? And, 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 um, it, I just think human beings are so helpful in that regard and they have such a great story to tell oftentimes. Well, all right. So I'm going to, I'm going to go on a tangent for a second, maybe let you have a sip of water. I, I haven't really said it in this setting, but the, the whole, uh, beginning of opening this podcast with the, with the question, where are you from is from my uncle Bill, who was a, a Colonel in the air force, flew F-111s in Vietnam, just this amazing larger than life figure. But um, you and I didn't plan this. And I don't know if you know it, but his belief was you should always, as you meet people, you should ask them where you're from. 
he did it because he felt like he was so well-traveled and he cared so much about people that he would find a connection and that would lead to the next layer of the conversation. So um, again, we're five minutes, six minutes in or whatever, and, and we didn't plan that, but that's um, you're, you're right there in line with, I think one of the most amazing humans who certainly I've ever met, but, but I would even put on a pedestal that's, that's walked on, on this planet. Amazing guy. Well, that, uh, I'm sure I wish I would have met Bill. Yeah, you, you definitely like do. Amazing. You definitely do. Uh, amazing, amazing guy. Yeah, amazing guy. So so you touched on it when I asked you that first question about what your parents did for a living. So they, they were healthcare caregivers. Can you just, just give us a little bit more color um, on your mom and your father's profession? So really uh, kind of almost a uh, yin and yang. Um, the uh, uh, My mom was a nurse. Um, and she grew up, um, in a little town, uh, of Wewoka, Oklahoma. Um, she was from a large family. Um, unfortunately my grandfather, uh, passed away at a young age and she really was the caring nurturer of the family while my, uh, grandmother and, and some of her brothers, uh, had to go to work and she was the oldest female. So she kind of started taking care of the family. So that naturally led, I think, into healthcare where she was a nurse. She loved being a nurse. She still talks about being a nurse. Um, and then my dad um, was just insanely intelligent. And uh, he really uh, had valued, um, he was from the Northeast, uh, from uh, Evanston, Illinois, and, and uh, Greenwich, Connecticut. And um, he really valued um, the intellectual side of medicine. And then he, he valued... Um, you know, trying to help people and trying to take care of them and so forth. So I, I, I learned from both of them um, what it meant to sure. be a uh, kind of a healthcare provider. And what did, what did your dad do specifically? Uh, he was a surgeon. He was a, a thoracic surgeon. He did some cardiothoracic work. I'm sorry. Uh, you have to stop me when I start speaking like an idiot. Um, so he was, he did some heart surgery. Um, he did some thoracic, which is the chest wall. He did a lot of chest wall surgery. Um, and, um, I think they, they met over the scrub sink and my dad oh, nice. worked really, really long hours. Um, my dad would go to the work in the morning and, and very early in the morning and he'd come home late at night and we would sit around the, the dinner table and we, we have several kind of fun things, uh, that we would do. Um, uh, we had word of the day and we had, you know, he'd ask me, uh, what's the latest book I'd read or what I'm reading and so forth. But, um, it, you know, the, the conversation was always something like this. What'd you do today? Oh, I did an open heart surgery. What'd you do today? Oh, I, and my mom would say, I assisted in a bowel resection. Could you pass the beans? So I just kind of <laughs> grew up around that stuff and it never really bothered me, um, you know, to, to be in surgery or anything like that. So. So was it, I was going to ask this later, but why not now? Was it, do you feel like it was destiny that you would become a I physician? I think it kind of was. I think it, I, you know, I believe in God. I believe there's always a plan and and we have to trust in his plan. So I, yeah, I think it was destiny. I think it was fate, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think I was meant to do what I do. Um, I love doing what I do. Um, I'm an orthopedic surgeon, by the way. Um, we'll to, yeah, we're going to get to that. So um, yeah, I, th I think that it was, it was, it was, it was meant to be. Um, people ask, always ask me why, uh, how I, how I chose to do what I do. Um, I idolized my dad. Um, I thought he was an amazing guy. Um, he wasn't always a warm, fuzzy guy, but he was, he was, he was my hero. 
And um, so on the weekends, he often would say, you know, do you want to come to the hospital with me? And I'd say, yes, I want to come. And um, he actually taught me how to scrub in and, and I would assist him sometimes and help him on the weekends and so forth. And I remember one time I was probably in the seventh grade, eighth grade, something like that. You can't do it nowadays and it'd be <laughs> highly illegal. Um, but he he said, do you want to go in? I said, yes. Um, and we went into the hospital and I was helping him in uh, a, a person unfairly uh, was about to lose his leg. There was a blood clot in his artery. And uh, my dad did a bypass uh, on his leg and his leg survived. And we, we went out in the waiting room and this family who had virtually no money was just crying and so happy. And my dad was kind of, a, he wasn't a warm, uh, fuzzy kind of hugger guy. Uh, but I saw the difference he made in that person's life. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do something like this. I'm going to try to help people. So, And that was like a middle school age. Yeah, I was probably okay. seventh, eighth grade, yeah. something like that. That's pretty yeah. amazing. So what what were um you know, go put yourself back in that time when you're, you know, an adolescent young man. What were your parents' um priorities for you as their son? So that that that's a great question. Um <laughs> you know, I looking back, I was pretty much an idiot. You know, I just kind of, you know, I was a good, I was a good tennis player. Um, I I I like playing with my friends. Um, I didn't do as well in school as I should have done. Um, you know, if I ever, you know, made a C on a test, uh, my parents were so upset with me. So academics, working hard, that was a priority, not excelling in sports. My, my, my dad never said you have to play sports. He never said that. Um, he did say, if you're going to play, you're going to try as hard as you can. Um, and my mom was a little bit more aggressive, uh, in terms of my sports, um, so she, she made sure that I knew that, you know, winning was a priority. So we'll, 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 we're on our way to sports. It's all, it's all coming. Um, so as John said, as John Stone said, I loved your previous two. I think you did a great job with the other two guys. Uh, I yeah, I, 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 I wasn't a great athlete. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we have some information that might contradict that. Um, <laughs> And then what, what about, um, I mean, you, you called yourself an idiot, obviously that's self-deprecating, but what just describe the, the level of discipline that was going on in the house. And, and I'm talking in that, you know, middle school, high school zone. So, um, my dad expected, um, you know, wasn't allowed to watch the TV, uh, during the week. Occasionally on the weekends, I could watch some TV. Um, I was supposed to work, um, as hard as I could academically, um, at night when he would come home, he would say, you know, what, what'd you learn in school today? Um, what do you think about that topic? And then we had work for the day. So we had a fishbowl and we pull out the fishbowl and there was a word of the day in there he had written down and I was expected to, to memorize that word, um, use it in a sentence and, um, repeat it. And then the next day he might ask me, what's that word? And I'd have to recite that word and be able to use that word. So, um, that was kind of the idea. Um, and then, uh, that just developed on in high school. It was, uh, uh, more of the same. He, he, he just really valued education. He thought that was yeah. the most, the paramount thing. And, and that's, that's the best you could do. I mean, it, you know, I, this is a general statement, but quite a contrast between kind of where we are today. Like I'm, I'm imagining how my sons would look at me if I made them pull a word of the day out of a fishbowl. <laughs> 
Um, I, maybe I won't incriminate them with the answer that I might get, but um, maybe I'll, I'll run an experiment. I know your two sons and they're brilliant and they would yeah. excel in such endeavor. <laughs> um, okay. So, so you brought up sports and I know it's a big part of your life. So when did you start playing sports and what did you start playing? And then we'll, we'll go from there. Well, I, you know, I, 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 my dad was an avid tennis player. And so if you want to see my dad, um, you went to the tennis court um, on the, on the weekends or, or, you know, he played a couple times during the week. So naturally I gravitated towards tennis and um, uh, I'll never forget this. I, I played my first tennis tournament. I was probably eight. Um, and tennis is, you do eight and under 10 and under 12 and under so forth. And I lost my first match. I knew I was going to win and I lost my first match. And I think I lost um, uh, like, you know, two, six, seven, six or something like this. Um, and I was so mad. I lost that guy and he was so much smaller than me. I grew early. I was big. And um, I, uh, I, I, the next week I practiced every day. I practiced every day I could. And I was, um, I hit balls. And the next week I played the kid, same kid in another tournament. And the next week I beat him six Oh six one. And I knew that I had, that's knew, not the kid had, that you, that's not the kid that beat you up and then you beat up. Is it? No, no, that's another okay. kid. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. <laughs> this, this kid's name was John Sharp. He was a good kid. Yep. Um, but, uh, but so I knew that I had this fight and you're probably like me. I, it's not, I love to win. I mean, I love to win but I almost hate to lose more than I'd love to win. I just hate to yeah. lose. So, um, it, it, so I knew early on that I kind of had this drive. And so tennis was really the first sport that I really embraced and really fell in love with and ended up playing a lot of it. So, so, um, you brought up books earlier too. So you, were you a reader at a young age? I was, um, you know, my mom read, my mom was very intelligent. My dad read, my dad read every night. Um, and so it got rather quiet. You weren't allowed to watch TV. And so you better do something. And the first series I fell in love with was the Chronicles of Narnia. And I think it was in, uh, I don't know, third or fourth grade, but I, I started reading every one of them and that kind of got me hooked on reading and you and I have talked and certainly your wife. So I'm, I'm an avid reader and, and, um, there's one, uh, sign of, of happiness in the workplace and, and, a lot of that is has to do with extra extracurricular reading. So I love to read, and uh, oftentimes try to get too many books at the same time. But, sure. but uh, yeah, we, we did a lot of reading. Certainly, and you, you've told me in the past about your dad's reading habit. So can, I guess let's can you describe it? Well, he just I mean he was he was a voracious reader. I mean he he didn't read a lot of fiction. Um, uh, he would occasionally read some fiction, but he, he, um, he, he liked, uh, some of the Southern fiction. He loved Pat Conroy. Uh, that was one of his favorites. He loves James, James Michener. He, he loved, um, you know, uh, some, of, obviously some of the classics, but he just, he would read every night and, um, we would talk about reading and oftentimes you would see my dad in his study, um, and he would just be laughing out loud and, and he, you know, he didn't, he didn't do that a lot, but uh, he would just be reading a book and laughing so heartily. Um, uh, you know, the rabbit run series, uh, Good for um, him. 
and uh, some of the others were so, and, and I ended up reading those books and, and love those books. And so uh, reading really became a big part of our lives. Yep. No. And, and I think uh, I agree with you that it's a foundational piece. If you, if you choose to, to make it that, and uh, there's no, nobody can disagree that there's a high level of correlation between professional success. And I would pose personal success too, with people, people that really enjoy learning and Absolutely. reading. Absolutely. Um, okay. So where'd you go to high school? You talked about Cassidy, I believe you said. Yeah. So my, my dad, uh, begrudgingly to me, and I, I don't mean to offend the people at Cassidy. It's an amazing school. Um, it, it, it's one of the best academic schools in, in Oklahoma. Um, but I went there all through, um, my, um, uh, you know, grade school, middle school and high school. Um, I got rather frustrated with the school and their athletic, you know, abilities. Um, it's a small school. It's a private school. It's uh, Episcopal. And uh, we we were a part of the state society and many things. We weren't a part of the state's uh, ac- uh, athletics and other things. So it was frustrating to me as an athlete that I, you know, compete in state in this. I couldn't compete in state in that. And I couldn't do this with other guys. Um, so it was, it was, it was frustrating in that regard. It was a great academic institution. Um, you know, I took, um, AP, uh, biology, AP chemistry, stuff like that. That was great, but, um, I didn't, <laughs> didn't always like the, uh, athletics. Okay. And you, you're, you were not just a tennis player, correct? Uh, uh yeah, no. So I, um, my dad made it clear early on, I wasn't going to goof around. So, um, I could either work um, or I could play sports and working was really stinky. I didn't like that. Um, and we'll, we'll get to that. Um, uh, my dad thought it was funny one time. Um, he was going to make me understand what, it, what it meant to be, to do manual labor. So he got me a job in the summer working in a construction crew in Oklahoma. You can imagine that gets the temperatures get up to, you know, 110 sure. and, um, and you're having to break up concrete and put it into a truck. And then you're having to go dig ditches. And I would come home every day uh, in those summers and just want to collapse. And so I made, anyway, he made sure I, I knew that that's not, wasn't the greatest thing in the world. Um, so, real quick. Do you think that was, that was his plan? Oh yeah. To make, yeah, okay. I, think, I would assume oh, yeah, so. I that, yeah. I think that was a plan. Um so, yeah, so I played as many sports as I could. And so um, in the fall, um, I played football. Um, and in the winter, I wrestled. And in the spring, I played tennis. Um, now, I got um, I got kind of burned out on tennis uh, eventually. And um, I ended up uh, throwing the shot put in the discus. So... Okay. So all those, all those sports through high school, I, I, I'm pretty sure. Cause you've told me like 96 times that there were some state, <laughs> some state titles. I won were... a few. Yeah. Yeah. Let's I, hear I, it. This I, is your, this is your moment to brag. You don't have to. No, no, I don't want to do that. Um, I had success in wrestling and in tennis and in uh, track. I had a lot of success in it and I was all city in football too. So it all worked and, out. And what weight class was wrestling oh, was taking place? I heavyweight. heavyweight. I, I'm a big guy. Um, not as big as you, but I, I'm, I'm big. Um, I guess I would be nowadays I'd be considered pretty small, but, um, yeah, I, I think when I graduated high school, I was six foot five, 
and a half and I was 200 and about 70 pounds. So I did so, some I did some re- deep research on this and I'm pretty convinced that in in the history of ma- humankind you're the only person to win a state championship as a heavyweight wrestler and in tennis. You're the only one. <laughs> I'm sure there's some other guys that have done some similar Yeah, there might be. There might be. I didn't uh, my, ex- my research was not that extensive, but but all that being said, you know, when you first, when I first pulled this out of you and, and to our vast audience, I, it's not like you walked around bragging about winning state championships, but it's something that stuck with me. And I think so many people are moving through their high school life and they're thinking about girls or boys or puberty and getting their first car. And, you know, what we're seeing take shape, even in the, the early part of this conversation is a, is a hardworking guy academically and athletically. And, and I think it's really rare. Do you agree? I don't know. I think there's a lot, I mean, I like you're like, you're finding out with all of your friends and they're pretty successful. They're all pretty good. They're probably pretty brilliant and they're pretty good athletes. Um, the first two guys you, you talk to are both in that category. And I think you're in that category. So I think kind of like goes with like, um, you know, I was just, I was just a super nerd. I loved, um, you know, I love chemistry. I love physics and, and I like hitting people on the football field. So I don't, yeah, yeah, there are, yeah, it's not all that common, but there are some people out there that, that, uh, can do those things. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's impressive. I mean, there, there's, there's no question. So I'm going to lead the witness a little bit here. I've said that before. Do you, you know, the combination of you telling me about um, your father taking you to the hospital, the expectations around academics, if you put yourself back in high school, did you start to think about the real world as early as those ages as a teenager? I don't know. I, I think I was naive, but I also, I knew, I knew what I wanted. I knew I was driven. And I talk to young people now and I have, four sons and you know I feel bad for them that I knew exactly what I wanted to do and that helped me um and and a lot of kids have tremendous amount of success and don't know what they want to do but I knew I knew Paul and you were probably like me I knew what I wanted to do I knew I wanted to work hard I knew that I knew I thought I knew how to get there and when I was getting recruited for football I I, I, that was my number one thing I told people. I, I told Oklahoma State, and I told Oklahoma, and I told Kansas, and I told Missouri. I said, I want to be a doctor. And I remember Oklahoma State, and I won't say the coach. I think he's a very good coach. He said, you want to be a trainer? And I said, no, sir. I want to be a doctor. And so uh, – and and that guy's a great coach, and and I wish him well. And, and um, But, uh, you know, that, that was a – non-starter for me I, I didn't want to go to that school because they um they're like well we don't really have football players that are doctors and i'm like well that's that's what i want to do um and i found a school in kansas that was receptive to that and i got to meet the dean of the medical school on my recruiting trip and that was a big deal for me yeah i'm sure it was so uh before we exit high school completely hey by the uh, way by the way because because no no uh, please i told you you could interrupt me anytime we're, we're gonna get to this we're gonna get to this uh, I went on my, my Mizzou recruiting trip and the Dean of the medical school stood me up. So that's, they probably knew what they were doing, but, uh, yeah, that Mizzou, they didn't show. 
You so, you say anyway. that like I should be surprised on any level. I, I <laughs> my, my alma mater, even though they did just finish ranked eighth in they the were nation, standing this year in football, they were outstanding, really good. So when uh, put yourself again before we exit high school, um, do you look back on those years fondly? Um. Yes, I do. Um, even like John Stone said, I think I could have done better. Um, academically, I could have tried harder. Um, I think that, um, you know, I was frustrated, uh, with the level of play, um, that I had to play against. Um, I got to go to a lot of all, all-star things and a lot of football camps, but I was frustrated because I felt like I could have maybe developed more, but it all works out. It all works out the way it's supposed to. Um, but playing at a two, a level was, was somewhat frustrating for me. Um, did you have a good uh, time know, in high school? Yeah. As yeah, a student, not, not an athlete, they, as a just yeah, overall. That's what I really, really had fun at. Um, I can remember, you know, taking calculus as a junior. And I remember my math teacher, um, you know, Mrs. Morgan was so good. And I remember my science teacher, Mrs. Ream. And I remember, I remember my teachers so well. And I had great academic teachers. That That's, that's really what my school uh, excelled in. Awesome. That's good news. So, um, Okay. So you obviously decided, or at some point you were going to play college football. Yeah, I really wanted to. Not a lot of kids from my high school went on to play college football. And I really wanted to prove to people that I could play at a higher level. And um, there was a lot of hubris. I thought I was going pro. Um, And so I got lucky enough to to get a college scholarship and I got lucky enough to to go to Kansas and play football there. And um, how'd you pick, how'd you choose Kansas? (laughs) <laughs> so again, I, I, I really wanted to be a doctor. And so I went around, I had gotten offered by Arizona and Arizona state and Kansas. Uh, OU told me I could be a preferred walk on. They had just won the national championship. Yeah. And I, I went there for my recruiting trip and I had never seen things that I saw there. Um, being from a small Episcopal kid and being raised Catholic. Um, I really wanted to go to Notre Dame. Um, and what ha- I, I played in a game and I played against my friend, um, and he, he hit me in my knee, he cut me, which was totally legal. And I limped the whole game. Um, and the next day, um, Notre Dame had sent me a recruiting letter. And the next day the, the recruiter called me and said, we were at your game. And I was like, Oh, and he goes, you can be a preferred walk on if you want to. So I knew, I knew kind of Notre Dame was out cause I had, I had already gotten some scholarship offers. Um, and I chose Kansas because I had a great retreat, recruiting trip. You know, you're 17 years old. And it was beautiful, um, beautiful weather. Um, and um, the, I met the dean of the medical school, and they said if I did well and played well and, and did well academically, I could go to medical school there. So that's how I chose Kansas. Um, and, and it's funny, Paul, we were really, really bad my first uh, year or two. I'm well aware, um, well aware. Yeah, we were awful. In <laughs> fact, Sports Illustrated had an article about how Newt Rockney had died in Kansas, and that's where football should go to die. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and, um, we got a coach after my freshman year, um, we were, had a really good guy as a coach, Bob Valcente, my freshman year. And then we got a great coach, um, Glenn Mason, um, who I totally respect. And he became our coach, um, my, after my redshirt year, and he really turned the program around. He really turned us into winter winners and, uh, and guys that wanted to work hard and, um, it just, it changed the whole program. 
So I, I have a few questions that I want to ask you about this. And I, and I think most people, whether they know D1 athletes or, or they don't, I think people speculate on, you know, what's it like to run out of the tunnel and what's it like to do a press conference? You know, I'm, I'd much more like to peel the onion back on, um, you know, how you went about things mentally, um, how you dealt with the emotions. And so, you know, I just love to start with, you're leaving this small town, small, not small town, but small school environment and boom, you're on this big campus, big school. What was your mindset and how did you go about the first days being part of the football program and being, you know, on your own as a college kid? Well, that's, that, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's so funny because all these kids nowadays are like, well, my dad came up and he moved up with me and he moved, he moved me in. And my dad, um, I had this old Bronco that I had worked for and I'd saved money for, and it had rusted out panels and stuff. And, uh, I go, dad, are you going to go up with me to um, KU and get me moved in? And, uh, he gave me a trunk and said, yeah, right. You can go do it yourself. <laughs> so, um, I drive Tough love. Up, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I drive up to Kansas, which is about five hours from Oklahoma City, uh, Lawrence, Kansas. And, um, you know, the athletes have priority and they move into the jock dorms. And and uh, I was blessed. I was so blessed to have this great roommate who was also from St. Louis. And he was he was uh, a linebacker on a football team, Paul Zaffroni. And just an amazing guy, really strong work ethic. Um, and so him and I, it was – you know, we were peas in a pod. We, we knew that, you know, we probably should be roommates and so forth. Um, so the academics were easy, Paul. Um, I, I took calculus as a freshman and my high school calculus was harder than my freshman calculus at Kansas. And, um, I, I took a couple of tests and the teacher calls me up one day. I think I'm in trouble. And, uh, he's a grad student and he speaks, doesn't speak great English. And, um, he says, uh, uh, Mr. Snyder, I said, yes, sir. And he said, uh, you helped me teach class. You'd know, take tests. <laughs> so that was it. I didn't, I had, I just kind of helped teach the class. I didn't have to take any more tests uh, for that class. Um, but it was because of my high school. My high school was so great. My math teachers and so forth. Um, my, so I was trying to date this girl in high school and I was in the Latin club. Yeah, no lie. I was in the Latin club. And um, you're painting a picture so, here, Lance. I just want to let you take a breath. You know, total stud. I asked you earlier if you had fun in high school and you started talking about calculus. And, uh, you know, I'm starting. But anyway, please go on. So. Um, so. So anyway, so we're in. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm take uh, uh, Roman. It was it fulfilled a history requirement. It's, Roman Greek life and customs. So I'd been in this Latin class and I'd taken this Latin final. And so I, I'm in the class and Tom Seaver's uncle is teaching the class. And so, um, you know, I take a couple of tests and he quickly realizes that I don't really need to take this class. And so him and I would just talk baseball the whole time. It was awesome. Uh, that was, that was one of my great classes, but no, it, it was such an adjustment athletically. Um, you know, even at Kansas, the worst program at that time in Division One. Um, you know, we step the freshmen all step forward. We had a really good recruiting class, 
And he's like, you guys think you're special? And we're like, yes, sir. And they're like, who's Allstate? And about everybody steps forward. I mean, it was unbelievable. Right. right. And and so I'll never forget this. I, I was recruited as a as a what we call a five technique or a defensive tackle. And, um, you know, we were in the second or third day of, of uh, fall camp. And it's two a days and it's hot in Kansas and it's awful. And, um, you know, I so the guard tries to pull. And so I get we were taught you get in his hip pocket and you go where he goes and you're going to blow up the play. And I had done that my whole career. So I so I see the guard pull and I get in his hip pocket and I'm going to go and I'm going to kill this running back. I am going to kill this running back. And by like then back then a, a tight end had come around and he saw me and he earholed me and I'm flying through the air at 270 pounds. Yeah. I'm flying through the air and I'm thinking this is going to hurt. And um, so that, that was my, really the, my introduction um, to what big time football was like. And um, I remember we had two or three guys go down later in camp and they said, do you want to go to offense? And I was like, yes. Yeah. I want to go to offense. Yeah, exactly. Hit, hit people first instead of letting them hit me. Um, so that, that was, you know, big time football was, it was so much fun. It was, and you, and you figure out by your, you know, red shirt freshman year or your sophomore year or whatever, you figure it out, you figure out that you can play or else they wouldn't have recruited you. And, um, hitting people is so fun. It is so fun. And you try as hard as you can and you fight as hard as you can. And whether you win or lose, I mean, you, you love to win, but, and, and losing definitely stinks, but it's just, it, the fight is just so it's, it's part of it. It's just amazing. So how did you, well, I'm assuming you earned their respect, but as a, as a freshman, um, and mate, probably into your second year too, how did you earn the respect of the the guys that were starting the guys that were captains, the guys that were seniors, what was your approach? So, How do you think about so, that? So that's a great question. I mean, my my approach was um, never quit. My my approach was you you, mm-hmm. you may be faster than me, you may be stronger than me, but I will not quit. I will keep getting up. I will keep fighting. And I think that's what really helped me and a bunch of other guys get respect. I certainly wasn't alone in that category, but um, you know, just with running and just with the the drills and just not quitting and just to keep going. And eventually, you know, they, they respect you. They, they understand that you're going to keep fighting. And so that's how you do it. Um, you know, we had Mason come in and we had a hundred, about 120 guys on the team that spring. And the first day of spring football, he says, show up at five 30. And we showed up at five 30 and some guys showed up five 35. And, um, he goes, look, on time is 15 minutes early. He had played for Woody Hayes. And he said, another thing is that your guys aren't good enough to wear Nike, Adidas, anything. So it, it's, um, you know, black shoes, black socks, uh, gray shorts, gray shirt. And so we show up the next day at um, for our 530 workout at 515. And he goes, we're going to go for a run. And uh, we're like, how far? And he goes, till I say we stop. <laughs> and I think we we probably ran seven or eight miles that day. And guys were quitting and it was unbelievable, but I, I just wouldn't quit. And a lot of guys like me just wouldn't quit. We had so many guys quit. Um, so uh, that's kind of how it started. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the, uh, you know, I can't tell you how many people I've met professionally that have said, I'll take the, the hard worker with a 3.0 GPA over the, 
fully talented 4.4.0 GPA that doesn't want to show up at 515. 15 minutes early. I think, I think that's a, a big deal. What, uh, so you talked, you talked about your coach a couple of times. I mean, just uh, before we leave athletics completely, and I'll give you a moment to, I'm sure you've got some great memories that you want to want to share with the audience, but, um, from a coach standpoint, who are the people and why that really impacted you as a young man? Um, so that's a great question. Um, certainly my, you know, my tennis coach, Bill Romp, uh, early on. Um, and, and, um, he was, a, he was, a he taught us that, you know, to, to try to work hard as much as we can. And out of that tennis group, I, it's amazing how many CEOs and doctors came out of that group. Um, and a lot of champions, you know, um, a lot of people that won the Missouri Valley, which is a five state area, a lot of people that were nationally ranked, a lot of people that played in college, a lot of, and a couple of pros. So that was a, so Bill Romp was, was one of the instrumental guys. Um, my wrestling coach, Mr. Sherbeck, um, my football, my freshman football coach, coach Sears, Glenn Sears is one of the greatest guys. He was all big eight, um, fullback at OU and, and just a great coach and just a wonderful man. Um, uh, so, uh, and Steve likes my high school football coach was awesome. Um, so those guys really, really helped, uh, my development. And then of course my college coach, Glenn Mason is, I just, uh, you know, just really think, think truly highly of that man and what he taught me about life and serves me every day. So, so fair, fair to say that collection of people culminating with him, huge impact on you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What, so, um, I, I sensed, a, I don't want to say the wrong word, but I sensed a little bit of indifference from your father about sports. But when, when you got to the end of your playing days at KU, um, what, what were his thoughts on your athletic career, which is obviously amazing to play at that level? Uh, he was more impressed with my academic career. Yeah. Uh, I knew no. you were going to say that. I figured you would. <laughs> um, no, he just didn't care about athletic success. He, he thought it was a nice you know, it was a, it was a nice aside. Um, you know, I, I had three sacks in a game one time and I said, dad, how'd you think I do? And he goes, well, you could have gotten four. Yeah. So, um, and that's just how he was. I mean, I, you know, um, Kevin Jackson and I win the state championship in tennis and he's like, yeah, you know, they got, you know, they, they want to set off you, you know, I, I understand, <laughs> but I'm just like, we won. You know, and um, so that was just kind of his his ideal. And and, uh, you know, I, my mom yelled at me constantly about winning. Um, uh, but um, my dad just really, you know, he really liked the fact that I was doing well academically. He liked you yep. know, the fact that I had done yeah. well in chemistry and so forth. So, so uh, from an athletic standpoint, what's what what are you most proud of? Uh, I'm probably like you, Paul. I take most, most pride in my ch children's success than I do my own. Um, I, you know, being an academic all American, I guess, maybe, I don't know. Okay. So pull, uh, pull that thread real quick. So last year, I assume. Uh, I, yeah, I think it was my last year. I was a three time all big eight academic player. And then I was, yeah. And then I was an academic all American my last year. That's what, yeah. That's incredible, man. That's all. It's amazing. I don't. Yeah, I don't know about that, but <laughs> I don't. Okay. I, seriously, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I, I just. I don't know. It, Take, it, it, yeah. I was just lucky. I just got lucky. 
you uh you, you've already proven to everybody that that there's more to it than that although i'm sure i'm sure it's a factor so okay undergrad's ending um did you ever waver from the path to go to med school oh yeah yeah um there was a time where i had had a rough you know, I, I was uh, starting and I had a rough go of it and academics, you know, I had, um, oh, uh, you know, one semester I made like a three, four and I came home. My dad said, you're, 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 I'll kind of paraphrase. He said, you're, um, <laughs> so the technical term for peeing is micturation. And he said, you're, you're micturating your life, son. Uh, it means you're pissing away your life. Yep. Um, after my three, four. Um, so yeah. So I went to my coach one day and I said, Hey coach, I think I want to go into coaching. He goes, you're going to be a doctor. Get out of here. So, <laughs> so coaching was out. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I, I, uh, I did not get into medical school my first time. Um, I was academically, a senior, but athletically I could play more. And I had only applied to one medical school and the um, uh, lady who was the Dean of admittance said, we're not going to let in a football player. And um, I don't care about your GPA. And um, I got waitlisted and I didn't get in. Um, so the next year I applied to a lot more medical schools and I got into several, but um, yeah, I, I thought seriously about what am I going to do with my life? Am I going to be a researcher Am I going to be a college football coach, high school football coach? What am I going to do? So that's fascinating to me. I did not know that for the record. What? How, how did you handle it? What, what were your thoughts? Well, I was devastated. Um, but then I thought, you know, you got knocked down on the football field. So why wouldn't you get back up? Um, and, and I wanted to prove it wrong. You know, I've got this weird inner fight. And I bet you have the same fight. I know Nikki has it. Um, so if I get knocked down, I'm going to get back up. And yeah. so I, I, I just was going to prove her wrong. Um, it, it was, it was kind of a sad commentary on the social system because I had higher GPA, I had higher test scores than people that did get in, but they were trying to get people from these small towns to, to get into medical school. So they'd go back to the small towns because there was a need Interesting. in the small towns. Interesting. And I certainly understand that. But um, I was like, hey, this isn't fair. You know, I'm from a big city. I've got good test scores. I've got good grades. And this isn't fair. And so um, anyway, I, I, I thought I would uh, keep trying. And I, I thought I would get in. And I did. Yeah. So I don't know the exact timing on this question, but um, I, I think it was undergrad where you um, started heading down another life path where your family started to take shape. Undergrad or med school? Um, well, so my last year, um, I think it was my last year. Um, I met a girl, um, I started, uh, we started dating seriously. And so we, uh, we thought, and, uh, we took the next, next logical step. So when I got into med medical school, I got married shortly thereafter. Um, and she, she's a wonderful person. Um, and we were married for a long time. We had three uh, great kids. Um, and then, you know, life happens. And, and um, uh, I, I think we had met, um, we certainly you and I had met um, yep. after that. And, um, and then, and then I went through a divorce. So, um, uh, but yeah, you and I had met before then. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, I love your boys. Um, there's another one that will, that came later that we'll talk about shortly, but, uh, 
you know, th this podcast is not about me, but every once in a while I like to throw in an anecdote, which is you're, you know, now tall, handsome, blonde sons were about three feet tall wearing tuxedos and with Laker jerseys pulled over them as the ring bears in my wedding. So um, it's just one of my most cherished memories. When I see your three older boys, my mind immediately goes to the photos I have with my beautiful wife, with you, with them um, as our ring bears, which is just an amazing, um, not, not that much long, not too long after I met you actually just a couple of years. So um, you know, pretty special memory for me. So, um, well, hold on. So let's, let's, uh, not that anyone cares, but I love telling this story. So, um, I'm in fellowship and, uh, it's grueling, um, uh, just grueling hours. Just cl wise. Clarify Lance what fellowship is. So fellowship you can do, um, you can, after you go to med school, then you get to go to residency. You don't get to do the residency you want all the time. I was lucky enough to get uh, into orthopedics. Um, I did orthopedics at the University of Kansas. And um, so then after that, you can do a fellowship. Um, and the fellowship, um, I, for some reason, I don't know why. I do know why. But um, I chose spinal surgery. And I got to train under a famous doctor, Dr. Bob Watkins, who was at University of Southern California. So my wife uh, at the time and I um, pick up our three kids and we moved to Santa Monica, California. And um, the hours were insane. Um, so I would get to the hospital at six o'clock. And so for those of you who don't know, I had to drive to 10. And so that meant I had to get up at 4.30 and then be on the road by five uh, and get to the hospital at six. And, and you're then, talking about the, sorry to interrupt, you're talking about the 10 freeway which the 10 traverses right across the heart of Los Angeles. That's right. Um, and then I got to um, round, which means to go see the patients. And then I got to be in clinic and we would regularly see a uh, hundred people in clinic and we would get done with clinic on Monday nights at about seven thirty, eight o'clock, sometimes nine o'clock. And then we would go over the cases for the week and then we would get done at about 11 o'clock. And then I got to drive home on the 10 and, and then start the next day. Unbelievable. And, and then I would get up at 4.30 or 4 and I would get to the hospital and we would um, have surgery. And then um, Dr. Watkins, um, let's just say that he has a he can have a tough demeanor. And um, so um, I was having a particularly bad day. Um, and, uh, you know, Dr. Watkins had let me know what he had thought of my intelligence <laughs> that day. <laughs> and, um, so I was having a really bad day and I walk out of the OR and you're sitting there. And, um, I, uh, gruffly said, what's your name? And, uh, and you said, my name is Paul McClintock. And I said, where are you from? And he goes, and you said, uh, St. Louis. And I said, well, there's a, there's a hope. There's a ray of sunshine. The guy's uh, from the Midwest. And uh, I said, where'd you go to undergrad? And you said, uh, Mizzou. And I said, <laughs> oh, man, my day couldn't get any worse. Because those of you who don't know, Kansas and Missouri have the greatest hatred rivalry in the history of sports. <laughs> Basically, we might be a little biased, but I think yeah. you're right. Yeah. But um, you were an amazing guy. You still are an amazing guy. You became a really, really dear friend. Um, and so that's, that's how we met, which was awesome.
Yeah. And I, I, I vividly remember it. I mean, to, to, you know, give people something, you know, from my lens, here comes this giant man in scrubs with a mask on and glasses and his microscopic loops on his face. And he's got veins popping out of his arms. And I was, you know, I, I was a little nervous, but uh, I very confidently said the university of Missouri, the Harvard of middle Missouri is what I like to call it. Um so, so um, you, you became an orthopedic surgeon and yeah. I, I know it was a little bit of a circuitous route, but you, you talked about it. You finished your fellowship and then where did you move? So then we moved, um, we moved back to Lawrence, Kansas um, and started practice there. And in orthopedic surgery, you have to do two years uh, in one place um, to get board certified. First, you have to pass an oral test, which is the hardest test known to man. It was unbelievable. Over 900 questions. It was it was unbelievable, exhausting. Um, and then you have to pass the oral part. But to do the oral part, you have to be in practice for two years. And then you have to present your cases to the board. And then they question you and so forth. So I had to stay in one place for two years. And I knew that I liked the intricacies of spinal surgery. I and But I didn't like the results. And so... Um, I had to stay in one place and for two years and I had to do this. And um, I realized that I liked taking care of the athletes because we were taking care of the University of Kansas. Um, and I like taking care of the athletes, but I didn't love spinal surgery in any way, shape or form. Yeah. Um, and so then I was lucky enough to go back and do a fellowship under a great man, Eric McCarty, um, who became a mentor. Um, he's a leader. He's just a great person. Um, and he was at the university of Colorado. Right. So I got to move to Boulder, Colorado. Um, and that's really where I developed as a surgeon and, and just had a wonderful time. And then after that, we moved back to Kansas city and that's where I worked with the Dixon Dively group and got to work with the Kansas city Royals. So was becoming a team physician always part of what you wanted to happen? Um, I think in the back of my head, I'd, I did, but I never, I've always felt comfortable around athletes. I've always felt comfortable, you know, um, being around athletes, trying to help athletes get back on the field. Um, some of my, honestly, some of my father figures were at, were coaches. So I felt like sure. I felt really comfortable in that venue and I really wanted to help athletes get back on the field. So, so one yeah. of the, one of, one of the great things that happened to me through, uh, meeting you, one of many was um, getting access to watch my beloved Missouri Tiger basketball team play at Allen Fieldhouse. And <laughs> I've been lucky enough to go to the Rose Bowl, to the Iron Bowl, to big time soccer games. But I, I really believe that environment um, for anyone who has not been to a basketball game at Kansas is the is the absolute top of the pyramid. And what you may not remember is we we I had my Mizzou hoodie on. We had these amazing seats in the third row, you and me, and I'm surrounded by Kansas people probably donating tons of money. And they're all asking me like, why, why are you here? Like in the third row, free throw line extended. And I told them I was with you. And, but there was a point in the game in the second half where one of the, one of the guys went down with, a, I think, an ankle, maybe a knee, and boom, you were gone. You were in the locker room. You just ran down the baseline, and I was like, holy crap, he's really a team doctor. Like, this is this is amazing. And But I could see the fire in you, as I alluded to earlier, that you really did. that. That's proof that you had that passion to help athletes. Yeah, well, I 
you know, I, I had a lot of, um, great team doctors. Um, David Flesher was one of my high school team doctors and he made a difference in my life. And, um, you know, I remember the OU team doctor. Um, I remember the KU team doctor. And so those doctors really had an influence in my life and I wanted to be like them. So absolutely. So, um, so I want to go a little bit inside your head. My, my I mean, I've, I've never, <laughs> it's a pretty shallow place. <laughs> no, no. We're, people can already tell it's a pretty deep, pretty, pretty, pretty large space. But um, I spent time in the medical device business on, on, you know, dealing, um, interacting a lot with people like you and I was super lucky and I, and I loved it. Um, so I take for granted a little bit what it's like to know surgeons and to deal with the, to watch them deal with the stresses that come with the job. But I don't think very many people do. So what is it like to cut a person open and, and literally have their life in your hands? What is, what is that like? Well, first of all, I, I want to say this, and I don't know if this is the right time and you can shut me up if you want to. As surgeons, we rely on the people in the room. And the, and I'm not just saying this. Um, I'm thinking of, I mean, you're one of the few people that actually made a difference. Um, you're the best rep. Uh, I always talk about you. I always say that there's this one rep and he was always prepared. He was always ready. And I, I never had an instance when you were in the room where I didn't feel safe. Like I didn't, I knew oh, wow. that you had, had what we needed to do. And I, I tell this to people, what you want to be, and I'm not just saying this, this is from the bottom of my heart. I, I say, I, I have an amazing rep right now. His name is Michael Vinsky. He does a phenomenal job. And I've had another amazing rep back in Kansas City, Matt Tribble. Both were phenomenal guys. They're both really good. And I tell them all the time, what you want to be is Paul McClintock. <laughs> I never had to worry when Paul McClintock was in the room. Well, if we needed a five-five screw. If we need a six-five screw. If we need a plate, we needed this. He was always there. He was always ready. He always had it. Never, not once, did you not have something that we needed. And you made a difference in people's lives. And not every rep does that. I just want to say that. I, I, okay. I, I appreciate it. I'm, I guess, deep down, I'm glad that some of my friends that I came up in the business with will hear you say that, and uh, they'll say that I, they'll say that I fooled you. <laughs> they'll say somehow you paid me. Um, All right. So no, what's it like um, to be a so surgeon, Lance? I, you know, I'm thankful for it every day. Um, I, I, I'm blessed to do what I do. I love what I do. I tell that to my kids all the time. Um, there's so much trust that it takes for a patient to say, I trust you, go ahead and cut me open. Um, and then, so i never take it for granted. And then it's this, in every case, right before it's about to start, and you know, I've prayed for my patients, and I and I think I'm about to do what I'm going to do. There's this mo moment of calmness, and I know, I know, I know what to do. I know, I know how to do it, and I know I'm going to do it. And so it, it's just, I mean, I don't take it lightly, um, but at the same time, I'm just, I'm so lucky to do what I do. Um, but but and, sorry, you know, to, to, so even to this day, thousands of surgeries later, you 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 find yourself going through that ritual every absolutely. time. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. 
That's yeah. amazing. And I, and I know, I, I just, I've had such great teachers and not that I'm the smartest or the greatest or I have the best hands. I just know that they taught me and I know what to do. I know I will help this person. And so you, you don't, I don't think ever think that, you know, it, it gets kind of weird. You know, I'm just looking at a knee or I'm looking at a shoulder. I'm looking at an elbow. Um, but I, I, I know that I've been trained so well that I know that if I am calm and I'm, you know, that it's going to happen and we're going to get it done. So. Um, so I want to bet we're going to, I said we would bounce around a little bit, but kind of follow chronologically. So, um, you know, for the sake of time, obviously I can't go through every layer of your, your professional pathway, but, um, you had boys, you had your sons at a, um, I don't want to say a young age. I think you had them at a normal age. You just happened to be not done with your education yet when they came. So you technically were a father in med school, residency, fellowship, and as a practicing physician, correct? Yeah. Yeah. My wife and I had three boys, um, Lucas, Gabriel, and Eli, and they're great boys. Um, and um, they're men, they're just, fall- just for the <laughs> record, they're definitely men, but keep going. They, they think they're men. <laughs> <laughs> I could still take them out. Um, yeah. Uh, they, you know, they're good boys and, and uh, you know, hopefully they're following their path and hopefully they're, they're doing what they want to accomplish. And, um, you know, I'm proud of them. They're good guys. Um, my one son uh, travels the world and he's a, a, a travel guy and, and uh, I wish him well. Um, I'm praying for him right now. He's in Afghanistan, believe it or not. Wow. Um, and then uh, my other son, Gabriel, is in um, uh, New York. And my other son, Lucas, is in uh, uh, Chicago. And they're all doing well. And then, of course, there's the fourth son. So, um, yeah. So I, I met you. We had three boys. You were amazing. You were fun. You were like their uncle. You would come over and play with them. Uh, and then Victor, our other friend, Victor Harmon, uh, who thank goodness has never had children. Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, he, uh, Victor is in Dallas. He was one of our other friends. Um, I'd be remiss not to mention Victor. Um, you guys would come over and we'd have so much fun. And then of course you got married to, uh, someone who became an amazing friend of mine. Um, um, I just love her. Um, so, uh, you, I, I always say you're blessed when you get to go to a wedding, you're really blessed when you get to see two of your really good friends get married. So that was really cool. Yeah, um, very kind. And, um, so yeah, yeah. You guys got married. We, we were married and we had kids <laughs> and went through life. You're just, you're just monologuing, man. You're killing it right now. So, <laughs> no. so, um, I also know, I also know that it's hard when you say it's hard to be a doctor, or and a surgeon um it's demanding you talked about it with your own father i know you have lived it for 20 plus years now as a practicing physician how do you think about how you were as a young practicing physician and now as a you know you're not in the twilight of your career but you're a veteran how have you evolved in how you manage your personal life while having this demanding job so that's a great question. And I don't know that I figured it out. Um, it's medicine. My mom always said medicine is a jealous mistress. Um, medicine can consume you. Um, you get accolades every day from either from your patients or from the nurses or from the fellow physicians. Um, so you really have to remember what, what and who are the most important things in your life. 
Um, and you have to really try to straight, stay, stay grounded. Um, you know, I was a team position for a major league baseball team and, um, I was lucky enough to meet a wonderful, amazing woman, um, Tiffany. And she said, you know, no one's going to remember whether you were on the field versus Detroit. Um, but your son's going to remember if you're there. And she's just been such a blessing in my life. Um, uh, Tiffany and I have a son Sutton and, um, she's, she's been great, amazing, um, so she's just uh, been a rock for me and really helped keep me grounded and um, uh, really helped me recognize what's important. So that's uh, the, so we got to press pause there. That's pretty profound um, feedback. I don't know if it's really advice. It's it's not a question how it's amazing is what it is. And I know that you and I believe that two guys in our 50s, it's it's like natural. You reflect on how you've lived your life. What how did you take it? when she said that to you? Well, at first it take, it's like an, an assault to your male ego. Cause you're so, um, sure. You, you know, such an egoist or whatever. Um, it, it's, it's so funny because you, you as a male, you, most of us, you, you, you fight to build your career and you're going to be this and you're going to be that you're going to be this and you're going to be that. And really what's important. And you figured this out way before I did, but what's important is the, is the person by your side. And what's important are your kids. That's what's really important. And, um, you know, if you're a spiritual God and, and so no one, I mean, they're not going to build a statue to me out front of the hospital. It's never going to happen. And the second I leave, they're going to replace me probably with two guys that are better. So, um, what I really learned in my fifties is that I need to take the time to spend time with my wife and spend time with my son and spend time with my other sons and go do things with my friends. I would always, always, always say, no, I can't go do this. You know, we have a meeting uh, with the Royals or no, I can't do this. We have um, a meeting with KU or no, I have, I have to speak at this meeting or I have to do this. And now when my friend calls, as you did the other day and says, we got an opening for band and dunes. I'm like, I'm in, I am in. That's a true story. In your defense, you, you waited maybe 15 seconds to commit, (laughs) which was awesome. I was super pumped. I moved, I moved back my uh, commitment for spring training and, and I'm coming to bandit. So, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I get to work with the Marlins now, but, um, so yeah, so I, I, uh, if my friends want me or need me, I'm there. Um, and I've learned that. And that's, you know, and maybe, maybe we know that now, Paul, because we had success, or maybe we have learned that now because we've seen what success means or what our definition is of success is. I don't know. So. Well, I think, I think, honestly, I think we learn it from our mistakes. I mean, that's certainly how I feel like I've learned it. And, uh, and maybe they're not even mistakes. Maybe it's just doing, doing things in a different way, but I am, um, I didn't know that Tiffany gave you that feedback. And I love the kind of just straight to the point, kind of dagger to the heart way that I can imagine that was received, but it's also a gift. Fair? Absolutely. Absolutely. Massive gift. hundred percent. hundred percent. So, um, so you and Tiffany had a son named Sutton and forgive me or Sut Bear. I don't know technically how he likes to be referred to. (laughs) 
Um, but I know you're very proud of him. And I mean, it is kind of, let's just call it what it is. It's kind of a unique situation where you raised three boys that were very close in age. And then you kind of get an opportunity to do it again and be better. Yeah, is that I, a fair I, way to characterize I think it? That's, I think it's really fair. I, I, I think uh, I got really, really lucky. Um, my divorce was one of the worst things that ever happened to me and one of the best things that ever happened to me. Um, I think it made me a better father in a lot of ways. It may, it made me closer spiritually. And then it, and then I, I got to have Sutton and yeah. Sutton's a, an amazing kid. Uh, his brothers love him. He loves his brothers. He's 11 years old. I mean, look, <laughs> you know, uh, you're a way better golfer than I am, but, um, who doesn't want two balls off the tee box? So, um, yeah, yeah that's, I, really, I, I, that's I, really good. Actually. That's really good. <laughs> I, I got a mulligan. Um, so yeah, Sutton is a uh, sixth grader. Um, and he's goes to a school called the bowl school. Um, it's an amazing school. Um, he's lucky to go there. Um, I'm lucky enough to, to be able to, to provide that for him. Uh, he's doing really, really well. Um, played football this year and wrestled this year, had a great year of wrestling. Um, so we'll see, we'll see where this ball goes. So absolutely. It's like a, I know you're going to say better version, but he's, he's like a real mini me, right? Yeah, he is a mini me, but he's a way better version of me. <laughs> and, and you're okay. So just to, to level set with the crowd, you, you live in Jacksonville, Florida now. I live in Jacksonville, Florida, which uh, does not have a great name, but is a great town with really, really good people. A couple of years ago in 2016, uh, I just got tired of the weather in Kansas City. I loved my um, friends. I loved Kansas City. I love the people, um, but I just got tired of the weather and I just wanted to change. And um, I talked to Tiffany and Tiffany was game and and she had lived in Jacksonville. We looked at um, San Diego and we looked at Scottsdale and looked at some other places but um, Jacksonville seemed like a good fit. And so we were able to move here. Made that change. And and your three older boys were gone at that point. They were in school. Yeah, I waited for them to leave. Yep. I waited for them to go off to college. I didn't want to leave before they went to college. And um, so they, they went off to college. And so I felt that it was the right time. And so we, we moved on to Jacksonville. Which I agree, I agree, is a great town. So, okay, let's shift gears a little bit. So I want to talk about balance um, you as, as an individual with a hard job, with a family, um, like, like many people have, um, how do you manage your time? So that's really hard. Um, because you do feel like you owe so much to your patients. Um, it's really, really hard because they will say, can you just do this surgery? Is there any way you can do, do the surgery or, right. or maybe more, maybe one of their relatives breaks a hip and they say, we only want you to fix our, our loved one's hip or, uh, you know, and it does, it does weigh on you. Um, but you have to say, you know, I have to say, you know, it's Christmas Eve. I need to be home or it's, or this is my son's birthday. I will not do a surgery on my son's birthday. Or you have to make time and you have to consciously say, no, it's really hard. I mean, it's really hard. Um, now when you are home, you need to focus. And I know you do this. I know you do this. Um, you have to focus on your family that the, you can't focus on the phone. You can't focus on trying to answer things or, or look up, you know, literature. You need to focus on your family. And so uh, Sutton and I, um, we love to hunt. We love to fish. Um, we love to be together. And so we'll, we'll go do stuff together. We'll focus on trying to do stuff together. And that's what you have to do. Um, you're when you're, when ahead, you're there. You have to be when you're there. You have to be present. I'm sorry. 
Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, you said, I want to clear something up because you said I do this well. And I, I do think that I'm doing it better, but like we just talked about a few minutes ago, getting, you know, improving from either mistakes or less than optimal things. I wasn't good at it when the boys were, when my boys were little, I was glued to my phone. I was always taking the late phone call from somebody on my team. And I, I, um, one of the questions I want to ask you, it's the perfect time to ask is I, I think constantly about, um, personally and professionally, why are we not giving each other better advice earlier in life? And for me, sitting here in, at, at you know almost 10 o'clock at night, your time, having a conversation like this that some people we care about are going to listen to, the real value is what can you learn from Lance and apply to your life and get better faster? So is there personally, professionally, key pieces of advice that you wish you had been given along the road? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, yes. So I, I think we need to take our ego out of it. And I think we need to remember who the most important things are in life and what, what they represent and how that's going to make us better people. You know, you get Paul McClintock is going to be such a better person because he took time out to take his wife to dinner. He's not going to be a better person because he sold one more division or one more, you know, spine company. Um, he may have a little bit more wealth, but he's right. going to be a better person because he spent time with his loved ones. I, I think that's the, the human quality. Um, you know, I get so much more out of taking a walk with my son uh, than I do doing certain things. So I just... Sure. I, I think we have to prioritize things and remember who's important and what's important and why it's important. Um, I think it's really valuable. No. And I've, I've loved watching you do. Um, I've, I've loved watching a lot of my friends who are all trying to improve. I mean, it's not like anybody does it well at age 30. I think we all have to go through the hurdles and, and, you know, dig through the muck. And I just want to every young person I talk to that is maybe married, no kids yet. I'm, I'm like, just, vomiting advice all over them that I've either learned or, or garnered from my friends. Um, so you think they listen? I think they listen. I think they do. I'm, I'm bullish on young. Uh, I would listen to you. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. Okay. So you've also, so, um, time, man we talked about time management. Um, I think, you know, ex athlete, you've also done a pretty good job of, um, of staying in shape, staying healthy, carving out time for those things. Can you just talk about the, how that's part of your life and how you've, you know, is that, well, a, is that a fire inside you that you want to, you know, that you want to keep fueling? Well, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're living longer and longer and how do you want to live those adjusted, adjusted years? I mean, John, your last guest hit on it perfectly. I mean, you have to get up early. Um, you just, it doesn't do you any good to stay up late. Um, now maybe if you're, um, Joe Rogan or some of these guys, you can stay up late and get up early, but I can't. Yeah. So, um, I'm doing this for you and for us and for whoever's listening, but, um, normally I'm in bed, um, by, uh, you know, nine o'clock and, and I get up at five 30 or five and, and go work out and do the Peloton or I go to the gym and, and lift weights. I don't certainly try to lift weights like I used to. Um, but, um, try to do some hit workouts and, and try to stay active and, and try to walk the dogs a lot and, and do stuff like that. So, 
that's all good stuff. And then being outdoors. I love being outdoors. I love camping. I love being outside. So I think that's kind of the mental health aspect of things. Um, I think we're meant to be outside. I don't think we're meant to be inside right. large cities and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think that's all part of it. Okay. So how do you, how do you, um, what would your patients say about how you try to educate them and change them with regards to exercise movement longevity? Yeah. So, um, you know, I try to stay current. Um, I don't think we have all the answers. If you look at the development of, you know, cancer knowledge, and if you look at the development of food knowledge and you develop uh, the, the, you know, kind of physical fitness knowledge, it's all really young. Um, you know, Emperor of All Maladies is a great book and it's the history of cancer. And then if you, um, you know, and then if you get into like, you know, Peter Atiyah or some of these other guys and outlive or Atul Gawande and, and, uh, you know, his thoughts. And then if you start looking at some of the physical fitness guys and what they're preaching, uh, you know, um, whether it's Dave Scott or whether it's, um, you know, uh, Ben Patrick or some of these great, great guys that are out there. Um, you know, there's, there's all the, there's new information all the time and there's infancy, um, you know, Huberman, these guys are geniuses and listen to these guys, you can learn stuff and try to figure out what they know and what's, what's evolving and so forth. So I, I try to talk to all my patients about not just orthopedic surgery, but also about what they can do to be healthy. Um, you know, is it an intermittent fasting? Is it trying to lose 30 pounds? Is it trying to exercise daily? You know, if someone comes in the office and they look like they're 50 and they're 80, oftentimes they're swimmers. Yeah. You know, they often swim every day, which is a great, you know, we kind of come from water and, and it's kind of in us and we should maybe, uh, you know, adjust to it a little bit more. So, um, I love swimming. I love, um, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, uh, I certainly love lifting weights. I think it's important to have bone strength, tendon strength, um, and trying to avoid osteoporosis. And there's also balance type stuff. Are they functional movements? Yeah. Um, are, are you, are you trying to do some of that stuff? Uh, won't get into CrossFit. Uh, I'll just say it's great for business. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, you're yeah. probably not wrong. No, I, I agree with you. All these people, writing, writing articles, writing books, doing podcasts, YouTube, there, there's so much at our fingertips. And, and sometimes I worry that people don't know where to begin to try to, to try to get on the healthy road. And I just believe in my heart. And I think it's being proven every day, movement and activity, um, regardless of, you know, whether, whether it's full intensity or not is a great, great thing for people. Yeah, I agree. So I, I think the body likes to move. Absolutely. So, so one, maybe one more kind of professional question. This is maybe me trying to feed my own personal curiosity. So you, you um, have had multiple jobs in a space where we spend as much on healthcare as a government, as a society, as anything else. I think it's right there with defense um, spending. What's it like? I'm sure people would love to know the answer to this question. What is it like grinding away as a physician working inside of our healthcare system today? Uh, that's an amazing question. That's a great <laughs> question. I, I, I think that we are in trouble. 
Um, I think that insurance companies um, uh, are managed care companies. I don't think that they have our best interest at heart. Um, As Peter uh, Atiyah alluded to, they want to wait for you to have cancer and then try to treat the cancer or not treat the cancer. Um, We need to try to be preventing the cancer. We need to be trying to prevent diabetes. We know more about diabetes than we ever have, and yet it's at its all-time high. Why is that? Um, so it, it, the system is broken. Um, there's a lot of good people in the system, uh, like yourself. There's a lot of people in the system that want to change things, but the system right now, the way it's set up is broken. Um, the answer a lot of times is not orthopedic surgery. I mean, you don't know how many, so you have the, you have the ball and you have the plate. Okay. So you have the humeral head and you've got the glenoid. Um, now the structure around the glenoid is called the labrum and you don't know how many torn labrums I see. And I tell them you don't need an operation. And they're like, what? And I say, yeah, you don't need an operation. You need to do physical therapy. You need to try to strengthen your body. You need to try to stretch your body. You need to try to move. You don't need surgery. And it's amazing to me that people are shocked and some people want to fix and some people want to walk out of the office and some people buy in and they're like, yes, I don't want surgery. I want to try to fix this without surgery. So um, the answer is not always orthopedic surgery. Now, if you're an athlete and you tear your ACL and you want to keep on playing, then yeah, you're getting, <laughs> you're going to get ACL reconstruction. But, yeah. um, but I, I think we're so quick. Uh, we got a hammer and everybody's a nail. So we, we want to jump on that. Yeah. And I, th- but I also think it's important for people to hear from someone like you, I think many people, I know many people are scared of even going to a surgeon's office because they believe it's like you said, hammer, nail, let's do surgery. And I would challenge, there are many more people like you that are thinking about the entire care spectrum and trying to get people better and giving them the the best road to take, not necessarily the one that um, you are incented to provide. Yeah. You know, another great lesson from my, from my dad that you, You know, he said, he said, one, he said, there's no problem you can't make worse with surgery. And that, and that was, that really hit home to me because there are variables, bad things do happen. Right. And he, he also said, don't ever chase the dollar. Don't ever chase the dollar. Don't ever worry about what you're getting paid. Don't ever try to do surgery for payment. I, you know, I always, people will ask me how much does it cost them? I don't know. I don't want that to ever influence my judgment. One of my great teachers was Douglas Pence, Doug Pence. And he's, he, he told me, don't ever know what something costs, because if you do, that can influence what you're going to do. Yeah. So I don't know what it, what it costs for you to come to me and have me replace your shoulder or, or fix your rotator cuff. I don't know. I don't want to know. No, that's amazing. And you're, and you're not the only person I've ever had. No, you're not the only physician that has said that to me. And I think it, I think it's a great way to think about it. You do good work. You take care of people. Word of mouth spreads. The money takes care of itself. And right. I know people struggle because the system is, is putting on the squeeze. So, um, all right. Appreciate that perspective. So I'm doing, I'm doing a little bit of bounce, but now we're going to round out on the personal side. So I asked you a similar question earlier. So what are your and Tiffany's priorities for Sutton? today? Yeah. So that's a really good question. And I think it's probably the same for every family. 
I think we want to provide a strong base. Um, we want to show him that we're a united team, all of us in this together. I think you want to teach him core values, um, you know, faith, family. You want to teach him um, discipline. Um, you know, Sutton gets up early with me and, and we, you know, feed the dogs, feed the cats, um, do our chores. Um, so, I mean, unfortunately, boys love discipline. They do. Um, they throw They thrive. I agree. And, um, you know, they, you, you don't, they don't get anywhere. Just telling them how great they are for putting on their shoes. Uh, I just have never seen that just bear fruit. So That's genius. Um, <laughs> so we, so we, you know, we, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a firm, good home. Uh, we try to provide a, a firm basis for him and, and we're united and uh, we try to give him the right tools and, and try to teach him the right way to be. Yeah, uh, at the end of the way, at the end of the way, your boys are phenomenal kids. They have to decide these things for themselves. You know, there's going to be a yeah. time in their life where they have to decide what road do I choose. Um, and so, if the if you give them these firm values, if you never let them forget who they are, um, then then they'll be in good stead. They'll be fine. So, um, so let's talk about, if you're comfortable, I'll ask permission. Let's talk about your faith. You've, you've mentioned it a few times. Um, I, I don't, I'll confess, I don't know the, um, whether it's been consistent through your whole life or it's been, um, as it, your, your passion level has gone up or down, but I'd just love to hear as, as your good friend, um, tell me how you think about faith and why it matters to you so much. So, so I, I appreciate the question. Um, I'm not the greatest Christian in the world. I, I don't profess to be. I'm a sinner. Um, I um, And it bothers me when guys are holier than thou. I'm not better than anyone else. Um, I was raised Catholic. Um, it, my mom uh, made sure that we, that we went to Mass every Sunday. Um, and I really went through the motions of that. Um, I really don't, didn't know what it meant. Yeah. Um, I had a great priest in college who was really just an amazing guy and would try to get us to go on Sundays and would let us study at the Newman Center. Um, but really, he was a friend and um, I didn't know what it meant to be Catholic. Um, and then I got married and then uh, my ex-wife was Presbyterian and I uh, kind of let her run the show and I didn't go to mass and I didn't, um, do a lot of things. And then I went through divorce and that really changed my life. Um, it really, um, showed me what I wanted. It showed me what I needed and I became much more devout in my faith after that. Um, so I, um, you know, I, I, it's, it's really helped me be a better person. Um, be more understanding, more, be more forgiving and be more kind. Um, so, um, and, and Tiffany and I are making sure that, that Sutton, uh, has great roots. And, um, so we, we go to mass as a family and, and it's, an, it's an very important to us. Um, and so that's, that's just, it's been a great thing for me. Um, and, and maybe, maybe I needed all that. Um, yeah. So it's, it, it's, and I don't try to beat anybody and you, you can be who you want to be and you can sure. be how you want to be. And I, I don't judge you. Um, that's not for me to do. Um, but it's, it's been good for me. So it's pretty well documented. I hear it 
fairly often. Why, why do you think um, religious practices and faith are on such a decline in our okay. country? Yeah. So I think one, it's hard. Okay. It's a lot easier to say, ah, I'm going to go to the football game instead of going to mass um, on Sunday. Um, I think it's hard to, for people in today's society to give of themselves a lot of times. A lot of, pe- a lot of people don't want to do it. Um, number two, um, it, we, you know, organized religion has not done a great job in some respects. Yeah. Um, there's been scandals. There's been problems. Um, you know, one of my friends, I love this guy, really good guy. He goes, well, you're, you know, he said, your religion doesn't do anything for the homeless. I said, my religion feeds the homeless every, every week we give to this. And he had no idea. Yeah. Now that's our fault for not that's fascinating. letting people know that, that we do that. And, um, so, um, we uh, organized religion has failed a lot of people. Um, and, and then people have laid claim to things in the name of religion, which are false. So um, it's a personal decision. Um, and and people have to make that decision if they want to make that decision. I can tell you that the happiest people I know and, the, and some of the best people I know and some of the best people, one of my best friends says, you know, he's an atheist, but he's also one of the most giving, kind, caring, selfless guys I know. Wow. So I'm like, I'm like, no, you're not. You're you're a Christian. And he goes, no, I'm not. And I said, really? Because <laughs> here's what Christianity stands for. Here's what you stand for. They sound like the same thing. Um, so it it is funny. So um, my wife and I had a conversation after the. I she she can't she doesn't like podcasts, and I'm like addicted to podcasts when I'm oh, walking yeah. my dog, when I'm working out and I'm, you know, she's <laughs> at least for that. there's a podcast for that. There's yeah. a podcast. It's a great ad, but I've gotten her to listen to two, which are um, the ones that, and and I still send her some, if I think it, if I think it interests her, but she said the other day, she's like, you should ask, you should ask a, a set of questions at the end that um, are fun and quick. And so she actually helped me, but I have, these aren't the final questions that I have for you, Lance, but I have um, five quick questions that I would love your answer. What what is you your? You told me you told me I couldn't believe this when this is over, and you're right. This is amazing, and maybe I just talked about myself the whole time. That's not what I intended to do. But your first two guests were amazing, so if I hope to live up <laughs> to half of them, I'll be fine. Go ahead. So what what is your what is your favorite movie? Oh wow. Um... Yeah, I mean that is so hard. I don't even know. I mean, I I used to be Gladiator. Um, I love Apocalypse Shocker. Now. Um, Wait, what was it? Sorry, I was talking over uh, you. The second one was Apocalypse you know, that's Now. A, Apocalypse Now was a great movie. Um, you know, um, Vision Quest is awesome, minus the love <laughs> scenes. Um, uh, there's there's so many great movies. Oh, man, I can't even. I don't know if I can answer that. Go ahead. I'm envisioning you and Sutton watching Vision Quest every Friday night together, beginning to Friday, end. Or Rocky, it. or yeah, uh, or what's it? Uh, Miracle. Yeah, we watched <laughs> that one the other night. We were going nuts. All right, so so you're a well-read guy. What book has had the biggest impact on you? 
Yeah, I, it's got to be the Bible. Um, that it's got to be the Bible. Um, but besides the Bible, um, God, there's so many good ones. I mean, I can quote, I, I can give you 30 books that are amazing. Um, gosh, that is so hard. That's such a hard question. Wow. Um, I mean, The Power of One is a phenomenal book. Um, I haven't read Our it. Boy, okay. Our Boys is a phenomenal book. Um, I mean, I can I can rip off 10 books that are amazing. Um, How would your dad answer that question? Oh, he loved Beach Music by Pat Conroy. Yeah. Um, he read it three or four times. Um, he loved Beach Music um, and Prince of Tides. Yeah. And um, amazing books. Yeah. You know, um, the hero of Prince of Tides is Luke. And that's probably why I named my first son Luke. Um, so, yeah. And I mean, he loved so many of those guys. So what is something that no one or almost no one knows about you? Hmm. Something that no one knows about me. And Gosh, I'm fun so, with it too. I, I'm so vociferous. I, I Everyone knows every, I'm like an open book. I need to shut up sometimes. Um, And I'm afraid of heights. Um, uh, that's a good one. I don't know. If you want. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I have to think about that. No one knows. I like about every food there is except uni. <laughs> there you go. You nailed it. That's perfect. Okay. When you want to be inspired, what song do you put on? Oh, uh, like anything from Creed. From Creed. <laughs> yeah, that's so, you're so typecast. Like, that's so you. <laughs> Zach Bryan, I don't know. <laughs> no, no, you, you stop stop at Creed. And, and for any young people listening that don't know who Creed is, they can they can put it up on Spotify here momentarily. <laughs> so what is, what is your, um, on, a, on a little bit more serious note, what's your number one priority for you, Lance Snyder, over the next five years? To be the best person I can be, to be the most selfless giving person I can be. I love it. Um, all right. Thanks for answering those five. You're the first that I put through that brutal gauntlet of, uh, yeah, I give you like a B minus, by the way. I, I, guess, I give myself a C plus. That, Maybe. that was awful. <laughs> Maybe a C. So um, do you, do you think life is going by quickly or slowly? It's flying by. Flying by. I know how this goes. I mean, if I'm lucky, um, yeah, I don't want to get too serious on you. Um, men get dementia at about an 80% rate after the age of 80. I'm 55. Um, it's just not ready yet. Yeah. And, I, and I should be as a, as a Christian, I should be ready. I should say I have a great life and I do, I should be ready to go at any time. Uh, cause I know that it's going to be better. But at the same time, I have so many, I want to spend so much more time with Paul and Nikki. I want to spend so much more time with, um, with Sutton and Tiffany and Lucas and Gabe and Eli. And I want to spend so much time in the world. 
Um, I know I'm supposed to say I'm ready, but man, no, I don't think you, I don't think you're supposed to say anything. I think if, if people are being honest, I think many, many people are not ready and don't, and they're scared. I'm, I, I'm not scared, but I just, it's almost like it's a sin. I'm jealous. I, I want to spend as much time as I can with these people. I want to have grandkids. Um, I just want to, you know, I lost a friend two months ago. You and I talked about this. Yep. And there's nothing worth that. There's just nothing worth that. I mean, he doesn't realize how much we love him. And, um, and you've lost friends. And I just, you know, there's so much great in this world. There's so many great people like you and, 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 Nikki and, and just Victor and just great people in the world that I want to spend time with. No, it's, I, I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate the answer. Um, and I, I agree with you, but I also think thinking about it and talking about it can give you fuel to live harder and absolutely. And I mean, harder in a good way. Um, that's why I bring it up. So, um, I've tried to capture Dr. Lance Snyder in a, you know, less than slightly less than two hour window of time. Is there, what is, is there anything we missed? And is there anything else you would like to talk about? No, I, 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 I feel bad. Uh, as Anthony said, uh, my least favorite subject is myself. I, <laughs> um, I just am so blessed and so lucky to have so many great people like you in my life. And I just want to say thankful. Um, I know I've left out a ton, uh, you know, Tim Jankovich um, and, uh, and, and Brian Schwartz and Todd Fordham um, and, you know, so many great guys that I played with and so many great people. So I just want to say thank you. I just want to say thank you. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, you're, a phenomenal guy, Lance, you're unique and you're special and you're fun and you work hard. And there's a reason that we chose to name one of our sons after you. That, so. Yeah. That kid's going to kill it. Um, <laughs> He's yeah, killing I appreciate it. This. I, we had to do this at eight o'clock. I had six or seven surgeries today. And, uh, and so I had to get those done. So thank you for taking the time to do this at night. You would never quit. That's, I mean, you, you taught us that yeah. about 40 minutes ago, no. but uh, <laughs> no. Lance Snyder, you're a good man. Thank you for joining me. And I can't wait for people to hear this and uh, for everybody listening. Thank you. And we'll talk to you again very soon. All right. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate you. Love you.